Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. The chorus return that had been going on for some time. Really? Thoughts and prayers? That's what you got? That's your best? Uh, Parents and grandparents lose the most precious thing in life and still thoughts and prayers is what you got. You might have uh, agreed with my wife about this Thursday's email title, F your thoughts and prayers. (laughs) She thought it was a little bit too inflammatory, but that's because it's an inflaming issue. Uh, In the face of the deepest human pain, the deepest human drama, how vapid, how empty, how feeble and trite, is it really any wonder that people are walking away from organized religion in disgust? So here's one tabloid, but it represents uh, a lot of sentiment on the issue. Uh, You read a headline like that, God's not fixing this, and if you cherish religion, it's kind of insulting. So sure, it's a tabloid, but still, for many, it seems like a public devaluation of something really important, uh, our religion. Well, we know this is a moment of high political tension. This is a moment of high social discord, uh, and we are living in a time when we are being ginned up on a regular basis to outrage continuously, offense continuously. But if we take all those scripts that we're all being force-fed day after day after day, and we set them aside for a moment, and if we come and look at this thoughts and prayers problem from another angle, ah, you know, maybe that other angle will help us. So today, let's try looking at this problem. Did I go dead? Can you still hear me? Microphone? Okay. Not through the microphone? Uh, it's on now? Okay. All right. So, sorry, I thought the microphone went dead. I thought it was mine. Okay. So today, let's try looking at the problem, this thoughts and prayer problem, from another vantage point. Surprise at church. Let's look at it through the perspective of our own religious tradition. (laughs) Because our tradition, it turns out, would tend to side with the tabloid. (laughs) Our tradition would tend to join the hue and cry and agree with and share disgust for that whole concept of empty platitudes masquerading as religious practice. In uh, one of our ancient texts, the letter of James is particularly relevant for addressing this thoughts and prayers problem. So let's start there. And let's start with a little bit of historical context around this letter known in religious circles as the Epistle of James. Uh, It's uh, of all of our Christian scriptures, it is probably the most committed to holding on to the Hebrew worldview, the Middle Eastern worldview. 
Now, we've spoken extensively in the past about how when our religion moved west, moved from the Middle East to Rome, uh, we allied with Rome and we got into bed with power and we suffered the consequences that power corrupts and we did indeed get corrupted. All that happened, but even more significant than that was we moved from one to another fundamental way of viewing the essential nature of things, worldview it's called. We moved from one way of viewing reality to a very, very different way of viewing reality. And what we do and what we say and the institutions that we build and the practices we do, they are all built on top of a core fundamental way of seeing reality. I said this in the last lesson that we gave up the view that the earth and everything in it is made of divine breath. Consequently, the earth and everything in it can't be more precious than it is. We gave that worldview up. And in its place, we took on what fit with Plato's worldview, that everything is derivative and everything is corrupt and everything's going to burn. We traded in one worldview for another worldview, and everything we built on top of those worldviews changed commensurately. Now, maybe James saw that shift coming. Maybe he saw Paul taking the, the faith westward, and maybe he could see it, maybe not. There's some scholarly debate that's going on all these days about uh, who James was and where he was positioned. But irregardless, James, and in this letter, was the most committed of all the Christian authors to not giving up the Eastern view of things. You can't get more precious than this physical world. All of it, the dirt and the animals and the creeks and the clouds are all made of divine breath. It is too precious to abandon, to burn. What do we do when the world gets broken and it is as precious as it is? Here's what we do. We fix it. How have you forgotten this? James is saying. Tikkun olam, you'll recall. Repairs of the earth. That's our religion. Now, funny thing, through the years, some folks didn't like James' little letter. Uh, once we had partnered with Empire, once we had changed our story so that the world was not precious, so that we could go conquer it, once our religion shifted from doing, because that'll get in the way of Empire, and was shifted to believing, you just got to believe the right stuff and then you're good. Once that shift had happened, a lot of folks through the years, Martin Luther was one of them, wanted James out of our scriptures. But to do that would have been to exclude a core foundation, the core foundation on which Jesus taught, on which Paul launched the church, and on which our whole tradition is founded. The earth and everything in it is so precious that we do not devalue it, we honor it, we do not abandon it, we fix it. Well, that background kind of helps us understand one of James' most famous quotes. You might have heard of it. We're going to uh, look at the section that that quote came from to help us think about thoughts and prayers. You might know the quote. It is, faith without works is dead. You might have heard that quote before. Here's a paraphrase of the section around that. What good is any religion if it doesn't produce good action? If you think that kind of religion will save you, you are fooling yourself. It's a sick and twisted spirituality that sees someone needing food and clothes and says, thoughts and prayers, or stay warm and fed. If your religious practice doesn't make a difference in the actual world, it's dead. Faith without works is dead. Thoughts and prayers without action is dead. 
Now that's strong language in my paraphrase, but it's strong language in my paraphrase because it's pretty strong language in the Greek. It's kind of slap in the face strong language because how the hell did you miss this core fundamental essential thing? How did you miss this? James is saying. So yeah, some folks wanted him out. (laughs) But he's there. And he's been there from the beginning. Our own tradition, like the tabloid headline, rejects any kind of thoughts and prayers that is divorced from action. In February, I did a lesson, Am I Doing It Right? We explored a whole series of questions, one of which was, um, am I praying right? We were exploring, how do we live well? When we got to this one, we realized that there's one particular kind of praying, praying for that's problematic for us. And I framed, back in February, my lesson around this observation. For many of us, many of you, uh, we've just stopped praying for. Now, if you grew up in church, praying for was a defining thing. If you grew up in church, praying for was central to our identity as Christians, deeply, deeply embedded. So maybe we didn't actually do the mental work of explicitly rejecting praying for. More likely, for many of us, what we did is over time, we just tacitly, almost unconsciously stopped doing it. Well, in that lesson, I noted that we are pretty comfortable with some kinds of prayer. Meditation, oh yeah, that's prayer, well, that's all good. Internal reflection, quiet and stillness, all good. Self-examination, what used to be called confession, yeah. Discernment practices, seeking wisdom, oh, good prayer, good prayer. Gratitude, that's a good way to pray. Even the prayer for interior transformation, very comfortable with that. But this one, praying for, it's kind of lost its shine. Partly because, as we saw in that lesson, we do not have a healthy story to tell ourselves about what we're doing when we're doing that practice. When we are praying for someone, we don't really have a story that we can tell ourselves about what we're doing because the one that we've got is full of holes, and the one that we got has some really toxic overtones, implications that we usually don't acknowledge out loud, but we just carry inside. If you missed that lesson, you can have a listen online. So... Today, a few things that I've been thinking about since February. A few things that I've been thinking about this praying for topic. Now, I said last February to deconstruct something as central as praying for. It's really difficult. There is emotion involved, and emotion takes work. There is tradition, and there is heritage, and it's really hard to go up against tradition. It's really hard to go up against heritage. There are people that we love, and if we cross them, there is emotional processing that is required of that, and all of that is work, and all of that is, takes time. Deconstructing is very difficult. Reconstructing after deconstructing, also very difficult. It's very difficult to find the essential and helpful core behind a practice and then to rebuild new stories around that and rebuild new practices around that, practices that work for us but also are going to work for our children and for our grandchildren. Deconstruction and reconstruction of core, deeply embedded, traditional, historical, spiritual practices. It is a major human endeavor. And those kinds of endeavors take time, like generations kind of time. So my hopes for today, kind of modest. (laughs) 
I'm not really hoping to settle anything, but rather just to put some thoughts into our heads. And maybe those thoughts will point us to dis- some discernment work that we'll do. And then those that discernment uh, work will trigger other thoughts and then other discernment work and so on and so on. That's my hope. All right, here are the questions that we will talk about afterwards, give you some time to be thinking about them. What was your bit, what has been your experience of praying for, and was it good, was it bad, was it positive, was it negative? And the second question is, if we actually, this is an imagining question, if we actually had some praying for practice, let's imagine together for a moment, what would we be doing? What would we not be doing? It's a question of dreaming. Let's see if we can dream ourselves toward something that might work in this praying for practice. All right. Well, let's start today with this quote from C.S. Lewis, a well-known author in the last century. He's the Narnia guy. Uh, I pray, he said, because I can't help myself. I pray, he said, because I'm helpless. I pray because a need flows out of me. But... Me praying doesn't change God. Me praying changes me. Now, this is a critical insight. If we're going to be reimagining the story we tell ourselves about praying for, this is kind of important. What James tells us, that religion without works is dead, that thoughts and prayers are empty platitudes if they're divorced from action, it's a roundabout way of pointing to Lewis's essential insight. The whole point of having a religion, the whole point of having a prayer practice is to change me. Religion transforms us or it's dead. Prayer changes us or it's dead. And when our religion changes us and when our prayer practice changes us, here's how it changes us. It turns us. It repositions us, it points us in the direction of healing what's broken, of fixing what has been destroyed, restoring our small corner of the world. It points us toward making the world a better place. That's the point of religion. So, C.S. Lewis quotes, James writes in the scripture, and as they do, they start framing for us a story that we can tell ourselves about what we're doing when we are praying for. So most of the rest of the lesson, I'm going to tell you a story. I subscribe to this woman's newsletter, Trish Warren. I think it's Trish Harrison Warren. And uh, she's an Anglican priest and she's a writer. She writes for Christianity Today. She writes a column uh, regularly in the New York Times. Has a history of both church as well as social justice. And this is the header of her newsletter last week. In prayer, I find the answers I need. In prayer, I find the strength I need. It's a quote that she got from somebody, and I'm going to tell you the story of where that quote came from. So in her newsletter, she told the story about her experience in Uvalde. She lives nearby, so after the shooting, she joined a gathering of ministers there in town, and they gathered to pray together. 
Now, right off the bat in the uh, newsletter, she acknowledged the emptiness of thoughts and prayers with a quote from one of the ministers who was at the meeting who said, yeah, that's just not helpful. Posting something on social media, thoughts and prayers, not helpful. But then she described what happened in the room and what came out of that room in the days thereafter. And it was anything but empty. Seventeen ministers, a dozen churches, white plastic tables. As I was reading it, I was thinking, yeah, we've got white plastic tables. Shaking hands and hugging, all the things that happens at meetings like that. And she observed, as the meeting was unfolding, it was very clear what was happening. They were praying to discern. To discern what the needs are, to discern who they would need to be to be able to meet those needs and how they would meet those needs together. What the needs are, who they would need to be in order to be able to meet those needs and how they would meet those needs together. One of the ministers said it this way. Now we can pray that Aunt Tilly's transmission gets repaired. But even as we do, we are being alerted to Aunt Tilly has a problem. And we have a role. It is to us now in our praying for Aunt Tilly to realize that role, to find out who's going to be the mechanic and to figure out how we're going to pay for it. That's how she framed her story of a prayer meeting in Uvalde in her newsletter. It was the context for that quote, because one of the ministers said it this way, I find the answers I need when I pray. I find the strength I need when I pray. Her story was a story about spoken prayers and prayers of listening, prayers of discerning, prayers that felt deeply the needs of their wounded city, prayers to discern the times and the places and the actions that they would need to do. Theirs were prayers for answers. Theirs were prayers for strength. Now, I've been to a lot of these kinds of meetings. I'm pretty confident that some of those ministers, as they were praying, imagined the divine within themselves, similarly to the way that we do. I also imagine that others of those ministers imagined the divine on a throne in heaven. In the end, that didn't matter wit because in their praying they wept together and as they did they discerned they realized their people also need to weep together and their people also need to be comforted together and to offer comfort one to another and so they prayed and they planned one of them knew a local official, so secured a place, set a time, began to prepare a gathering at the local fairground, a time and place for the community to share their grief together, to support one another in their grief. And they prayed for love, and they prayed for compassion, and they paid, prayed for grace, that they would experience it more deeply within themselves, and they would be able to transmit it to those in their communities, and their communities would be able to share it with the city. They prayed for strength to give to the community, to draw from the community what the community needed. 
They discerned together. They sought wisdom and strength together. They prayed to be present and to be a presence together. One of them, realizing that in their church, their newly built teenage space, a place for kids to come and hang out and stay out of trouble, that space would serve perfectly as a gathering space for the community. So they made a plan. And they set the, the ping pong tables off to one side and the video games off to the other side. And they put out some coffee and they put out some snacks and they created space for parents and for children to be and to mill around and to be with one another and to talk with one another. They created a space where grief counseling could happen. They prayed and they planned. And as they did, it was reinforced in their minds that this news cycle, it's going to move on very rapidly, but after it does, our community will still be suffering. Because every graduation, and every Halloween, and every holiday for a decade and for two decades, this community, these families will still be suffering. And that they realized, that's where our real work comes. So they prayed for answers and they prayed for strength for the days ahead, for the years ahead. And then the community did gather at the fairgrounds. Space was made. The community did weep together, comfort one another, grieve together, put their hands on one another to pray for and to support and to hold one another up. Space was made to hold one another before what is truer and what is more beautiful, to affirm together what is holy, even when facing the most profane to affirm together what is beautiful even as they were going through what is the ugliest. And they stood beside families who had lost children and made space for them to collapse in tears. And their prayers were anything but empty, anything but trite. She finished her newsletter with a saying from our religion's monastic tradition, Ora et Labora. Prayer and work. Our cloistered communities, those who have devoted whole lifetimes to spiritual practice, those who have devoted whole li lifetimes to the quest for how a healthy spirituality works out, they hit on that formulation a long time ago. We pray and we work. The praying creates the, pa the space for discerning. The, the praying creates the space where we access deeper strength, where we access deeper wisdom. The praying connects us to the interior light and to the inner wisdom and to the inner divine. And even though we can't contain God in any thought we think, history tells us what we said a moment ago. Get that glimpse of divine, discern that divine, and we are always sent to work. Ora et labora. We are always turned and pointed in the direction of hard work to love other people. The hard work and the action that is born out of that love. The hard work of comforting and standing with and building up. The hard work of reshaping policy. Challenging the gun industry's lobbying power. Creating sensible gun laws. The hard work of incremental movement. The hard work of building trust. Building coalitions across the divide. Ora et labora. We pray and we work. Now we've all been witness to, we have seen what happens when we do the praying without the working. Our religion becomes a laughing stock. F your thoughts and prayers. 
But we've also seen what happens when we work without praying. When we work without praying, we tend to get shrill. We tend to get combative. We tend to get outraged. We tend to shout down as opposed to work with. And then we tend to get exhausted. And then we tend to get discouraged. And we tend to get ineffective. Ora et labora. Praying and working. We pray that we might access the love for our cities. Love for people who are as precious as precious can be. Love for those who vehemently disagree with us and who are inflamed at this moment in their disagreement because love is the necessary precondition to be able to work and prayer is how we access that love that we carry within ourselves. Ora et labora. We pray so we can work. You might have noticed... Uh, maybe uh, I did, maybe you did as well. The first thing Braver Angel is, invites us to do, if we're going to work on bridging the red-blue divide, we have to start by depolarizing within. We have to start our work by working to become the kind of people who are able to do the work of depolarizing our world. Well, that is the genius of our religious tradition. Our practice of prayer has been to create the space where we find the answers and the strength that we need. We pray so that we are able to do the work. We pray so that we can access the interior strength that will equip us to do the work. We ora et labora. And so in Dwelling Divine, may we... May we together discern a way to pray that grants us access to the genius of our tradition, the wisdom of those gone before us, a way to access the answers that we need, the strength that we need to be the people who can make a difference in the world around us. Amen. Timed that well. We all give online now. The donate button is at the top of our website. Lots of options, lots of ways to give if you're here in Raleigh. Or if you're there far away, we invite you to take an ownership stake in the community. And a reminder, as we say all the time, there is good return when we invest in community. When we give our time and our energy and our love and our dollars to the community, the community that takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of an environment in which we thrive, in which we flourish. So on the website, at the top, about as easy as it can be. In a minute, we're going to dismiss those of you on the live stream, and we're going to do What Are You Thinking here in the room, and our hope is that you will join us to do What Are You Thinking on Zoom. Now, by the way, not next weekend, but the weekend after that. That's the 4th of July weekend. We're not going to have any Zoom What Are You Thinking between the holidays and vacations. We're not going to do it. But today... And next week, this is a great way for you to connect, to think more deeply about the lesson, to think more deeply about your life as it intersects the lesson, and to do it while building a network of community. So the Zoom link is on our website. It's under events and news. And if you've stayed tuned this long, we're going to tell you what the password is. It is 1417. Once again, 1417. Don't be a troll or we'll delete you. Hope you'll join in. All right, if you would, please, let's put our hands on our hearts and... Uh, let us remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, they're in us because the breath of the divine is in us. 
And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair our world, to heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. We are dismissed. Uh, those of you that are here, we are not dismissed. Uh, please do go join us on, on Zoom. Well, We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you